Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day there and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week we're going to have a look at the Australian housing market where there's currently quite a lot of debate as to whether the property market might have bottomed after the falls we've seen since April of last year. In fact, from their highs in April of last year to their low last month, national average home prices have fallen just over 9%, making it their biggest fall in core logic records going back to 1980. Capital city average prices across Australia were down by a bigger 9.7%, which is their second biggest fall after the 10.2% fall in the 2017-2019 period. However, average price falls had slowed to a crawl in February, and CoreLogic data shows that this has morphed into price gains across several cities so far in March, with Sydney prices actually tracking up 1.1% at a monthly rate, and five capital city average prices tracking up 0.6% at a monthly rate. If home prices had bottomed, this would leave them short of our expectation for a 15 to 20% top to bottom fall. So I guess the big question is whether property prices in Australia are doing it yet again, that is falling by less than expected, and then rising by more than expected and surprising on the upside. This note looks at the positives and negatives for the residential property market outlook. I guess looking at the positives first, there's a bunch of them. Now, first one is, and I think this is particularly interesting, reserve bank analysis shows a decline in average household size in Australia since 2020 of around 1%. And it estimates has added about 120,000 households to underlying dwelling demand, partly offsetting the negative impact on demand from the hit to immigration through the pandemic lockdown. So you may recall when we went through the pandemic years, which of course continued into perhaps early 2022, despite the absence of immigration and a slight decline in population, the rental market in Australia actually tightened and underlying demand, you could argue, possibly improved because of a decline in average household size. Bunch of reasons for that, but one of them, of course, apart from the long-term downtrend in household size in Australia as the population gets older, but one of the factors that may have impacted since the pandemic is people not wanting to live in shared accommodation through the lockdown period. And the question is whether that will reverse. But that decline in average household size has boosted underlying demand for housing. On top of this, we're now seeing immigration return dramatically. Immigrants are returning at a rapid pace, boosting underlying demand for housing. Net immigration was around 320,000 people last year, up from just 5,940 in the lockdown impacted year of 2021. And of course, in 2020, I think it was slightly negative. This roughly equates to demand for an extra 125,000 dwelling. It's likely to remain strong this year which means ongoing demand for dwellings going forward. This is seeing a rise in the cumulative undersupply of housing again. You could argue that that undersupply of housing was reversed or declined to some degree as a result of the unit building boom in Australia at the latter part of last decade. But now we're starting to see the cumulative shortfall of supply or undersupply starting to rise again as population growth starts to outstrip supply of property, here referring to demographic demand and the supply of dwellings into the property market, not necessarily listings in the 
home buyer market. Thirdly, partly reflecting this, capital city rental vacancy rates on average around Australia are now below 1%. And of course, the recent plunge has been in Sydney and Melbourne, but over the last few years, we've had very low rental vacancy rates in all the other capital cities. Now, of course, this is driving a surge in rent, which ultimately should be positive for investor demand as rental yields improve. Now, the factor is that the record plunge in home prices and high inflation have pushed real home prices in Australia from well above their long-term trend. And the, well, the long-term trend on my data goes back to the 1920s to back in line with that long-term trend. So if you can imagine there's a long-term rising trend in Australian residential property prices over time, typically it's around 3% per annum after inflation. And of course, as we went into the period around 2021, early 2022, actual real property prices were well above that trend. In fact, at one point, they were about 25% above their trend. Now we've seen a combination of that 9% fall in property prices, high inflation, of course, and also that rising underlying trend anyway, push property prices back down to be in line with their long-term trend. Now, of course, seeing the decline in property prices may have attracted bargain hunters back into the property market, given the experience of price falls being quickly followed by rebounds in recent years. In other words, bargain hunters are thinking, well, maybe we better get in there now because if we don't, property prices will rebound. Now, the point is that we're now allowing first-time buyers in New South Wales to opt for land tax, um, as opposed to paying that upfront massive impost of stamp duty. And there's various other government support programs which may be boosting demand. Listings in the home buyer and seller market are actually very low. They're running around 25 to 30% down on a year ago. And our assessment is that we are at or close to the top on interest rates and the problem in global banks adds support to this assessment. And in fact, we've seen in the last week or so, the Reserve Bank actually, in its minutes from its last meeting, confirmed that it will be considering a pause in interest rates at its next meeting in April. And finally, if you follow the weekend auction clearance rates, you will notice they've improved significantly from their lows down around 50% in the middle of last year. Recently, they're hovering around 65, sometimes up around 70% once you allow for the final data. Whichever way you cut it, that is an improvement. And historically, the direction of auction clearance rates has correlated with the direction of home prices, i.e. whether it's improving or deteriorating. So maybe the combination of bargain hunters motivated by the historical record that shows prices rebounding quickly at a time of very low listings, backed by expectations for strong demand as immigrants return, are combining to drive a recovery in prices. More fundamentally, the ongoing supply shortfall in Australia provides some sort of floor under prices. So there are all the positives. I guess the negatives though are also worth considering. And there are in fact, a significant bunch of headwinds facing the property market, many of which relate to interest rates. Firstly, the full impact of variable rate hikes is yet to be fully felt as it takes two to three months for RBA rate hikes to show up in actual mortgage payments. So right now you're happily paying your mortgage. It probably reflects RBA rate hikes uh, up until the end of last year. And there's still a bit more to come through. And then most importantly, we've got about 880,000 and fixed rate loans, which were taken out, I guess, uh, two, maybe three years ago, uh, that will expire this year. And that will see mortgage rates on those loans reset from around 2%, maybe a little bit more, depending on where you got your loan, to around 5 or 6%. RBA analysis indicates that while fixed rate borrowers may have similar liquid assets, in other words, bank deposits, for example, to variable rate borrowers, they have higher risk characteristics. In other words, they tend to be um, first-time buyers and they also tend to have higher loan to valuation and debt to income ratios. So that makes them more at risk. Thirdly, while we think interest rates are at or close to peaking, there's numerous economists out there who still see the cash rate rising above 4%. In other words, we may still have more to go. Fourthly, household debt servicing payments as a share of income have already risen to their highest in more than a decade, resulting in a large squeeze on household cash 
cash flows, but they will this will rise further given the lagged flow through of variable rates and the fixed rate reset. A rise in the cash rate to 4.1%, for example, as some economists have been suggesting, would actually see the ratio of interest payments and total interest and principal payments to household disposable income pushed up to record highs. And of course, that's above the level seen just prior to the GFC. And of course, we know that there was a big slowdown in consumer spending in Australia into the GFC, which was ultimately only reversed by massive interest rate cuts. Our rough estimates are that this rise in interest rates, um, depending on how high interest rates ultimately go, would remove roughly five percentage points of household cash flow relative to income. Another point is that Australian economic conditions will probably deteriorate this year as weaker global growth impacts demand for our exports, rate hikes bear down on domestic demand, or as pent up demand for the, from the pandemic is exhausted. And this will likely all combine to push unemployment higher. Higher unemployment will in turn likely add to mortgage stress. I guess it's one thing to see interest rates rise and take up more of people's income, but of course, if they lose their jobs, it's a more problematic story. On top of that, the hit to home buying power from rate hikes, which we estimate to be around 20% for a buyer with a 20% deposit and average full-time earnings remains significant even if rates have stopped rising. So in other words, if you go back over the last 40 years, one of the factors, or I think, Perhaps the main factor which underpinned the surge in house prices relative to people's incomes, particularly in the last 20 years, has been an ongoing downtrend in interest rates. You know, rates would go up a little bit every so often, then they'd come down making new record lows. And of course, we saw that into the pandemic. And that, of course, supported um, higher prices, of course, at a time when there was a lack of supply and strong underlying demand. So it was all made possible by very low interest rates. That, of course, is now in the process of reversing and the big hit to home buyer capacity to pay remains in place or will remain in place even if interest rates start to go sideways. And finally, if you go back through property past property cycles and look at the period of falls into 2009, into 2012 and 2019, they only bottomed out sustainably once interest rates started falling. And so you can make an argument that unless we see sustained start to lower interest rates, then it's premature to expect that the property market has really bottomed out. The combination of all of these things suggests that demand will remain constrained ultimately, and there's potential increase in supply as some financially stressed households sell over the next six months or so. Now our base case remains that the current bounce in home prices that we've been seeing Perhaps stabilisation getting underway in February and then a bounce so far in March will be short-lived as demand from bargain hunters runs its course, the impact of higher interest rates reasserts itself and listings increase in response to distressed selling. So we continue to see average home prices having a top to bottom fall of around 15 to 20% from their highs in April last year, ultimately to their lows later this year. And you can argue we're perhaps halfway through. And we don't see sustained recovery getting underway until next year. Now, prices may start to bottom out, I think, later this year, but I don't think it's going to look particularly sustained until we get to next year when the Reserve Bank starts cutting interest rates, albeit we don't see interest rates going back to their um, all-time lows of just over a year ago, or in fact, slightly less than a year ago. While Australia's fundamental housing shortage is now reasserting itself again with rising underlying demand on the back of returning immigration and insufficient supply as evident in very low rental vacancy rates, it was the shift, and this was the point I was making earlier, it was the shift to ever lower interest rates over many, many years into the pandemic that ultimately allowed the supply shortfall to drive ever higher home prices relative to people's incomes. In other words, yes, we had a supply-demand shortfall there. Underlying supply was well below underlying demand, and that obviously put upwards pressure on prices, but unless people had the lower interest rates, 
to support that, it wouldn't have flowed through to the big rise in price to income ratios that we've seen. Now, of course, we're seeing higher interest rates, obviously well up from their lows a year ago, and this will make it more difficult um, for the property market, suggesting the supply shortfall potentially could take place at lower price to income ratios. So obviously there's a lot of debate about all these sorts of issues here, um, but I guess the key is that if we've moved into a world of somewhat higher interest rates, then price to income ratios in the property market will probably end up settling at lower levels than they certainly were going into 2022. However, the current environment is very hard to read. I must admit it's become more difficult. If you go back a year ago, you could argue the case for downside was quite clear, but now with immigration returning rap rapidly, it's not as clear. So there is always a chance that prices have bottomed, particularly if rates have peaked and if the Australian economy has a soft landing. But even if this is the case, in the absence of much lower interest rates, the recovery is likely to be constrained as buyer capacity to pay for homes will still be constrained. So. Obviously, lots of issues around the property market at present. Lots of debate as to whether prices have bottomed or not. I've just been through my view. Hopefully, that has been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.